Discernment is something that is this. It is the ability to judge well. In other words, I look at something and I make choices based on what I see compared to the standard. The standard is always and only and always will be the Word of God. That's the standard that I judge everything that I do by. It doesn't matter if it's something I read, something I see, something you hear from Peter or I or from your Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter where it comes from. I judge according to the standard. I use discernment. I believe this world. Uh, I've seen it. If somebody says, oh, well, that book was by a Christian publisher, or the movie was uh, made by people who are Christians, well, then it's got to be good. If the person uses a Bible verse, well, that's got to be from God. Or even they use the word God. Hey, it's got to be good, right? No. Because guess what? All those words are used by lots of people for lots of reasons. We need to be discerning. But let's continue on and look at a definition so you understand exactly where I'm coming from. It is the activity that recognizes distinct differences. In other words, everything is not the same. All things are not equal. In fact, is I mentally, that starts with my mind, identify, separate, and distinguish ideas and actions and make choices based upon that. I've done this before. I'll do it one more time. I am not telling you. We're going to look. I'm going to use as a test case the book The Shack. By the way, I'm probably going to step on some people's toes because you might have read it and said, boy, that was a wonderful book. I'm, I have some other opinions, okay? But I'm going to use other things. But that's just the test case. Don't leave here and say, Paul preached a sermon on a book. No, the discernment is about, I'm sorry, the sermon is about discernment. Here's what I would tell you. I don't care if you're listening to me. I don't care if you're watching TV, listening to the radio, reading a book. I don't care what it is. Here's how you do it. If you take whatever it is and put it between you and the Bible, you are going to color and taint what you see in the Bible because it's going to distort it. You have a filter. Here's the way you deal with this world. I don't care what it is. I don't care what the subject is. I don't care where it is or who it is. You go this way. I look at it through the lens, through the focus of the Word of God. And then it will pop. And be like, that doesn't match. That's the way you need to do it. I read all kinds of stuff. Stuff that I would never encourage anybody to read. And I'm not talking about pornography or something like that or something totally bizarrely twisted. But all kinds of various things. I listen to all kinds of various things, read all kinds of things, because I need to know what is going on so that I have an idea of where people are coming from, what their mindset is, what their thinking is. But what I have found, and I've been around long enough, I've been a Christian for 40, a little over 40 years, I've been a pastor for 28 years, and I have seen all kinds of things go through the church, not only Garden Chapel, but the church as a whole. I have seen all kinds of things go through, and for six months, it's all the rage. This is the thing. Today, they call it Christian tourism books. I'm, I'm sorry, heaven, heavenly tourism books. By the way, I, I told you I'll probably step on somebody's toes. Heaven is for real. 
If you're getting your theology about heaven from a four-year-old who they coerced the story out of, sorry. If you read the book, and I did, 23 Minutes in Hell, a guy says he died, went to hell, and uh, for 23 minutes he was in hell, came back and told us what hell is about. I'm going to tell you, that was a totally pathetic book. If you want to know what hell is like or heaven is like, get your Bible out. Read it. If you want to read those books, feel free. I'm not censoring any of those books. But it's 90 minutes in heaven and the boy who went to heaven, by the way, if you didn't check, the boy who went to heaven, a couple of years later said, oh, by the way, folks, I made it all up. I lied. You know what? The major booksellers and printers were printing all these things. They're Christian books. They're making movies out of them. The point is, we need to be discerning people. We need to look at what is around us. We need to understand what is happening. We need to compare it with the standard. And then we need to decide if it's good or bad. By the way, you'll find something good in all those things. You can find a lot of good things that aren't wrong in lots of things. But discernment says, I sort it out. And I make intelligent spiritual decisions based on the truth. And that's what I'm going to encourage you. You say, are you sure that's biblical? Well, the answer is yes. Because you see, a discerning person, another way of looking at that person, is to say that they're a wise or understanding person. A wise person is one who knows what is true and puts it into action, whether it's in their mind or their emotions or their actions. It doesn't really matter what direction it goes, but a discerning person is a wise person. They have wisdom. In the shack, for example, and I'm just going to do this real quick, uh, they're making a movie and they're trying to make it a campaign for churches and the regular Publishers that we get materials from are, are, are pushing this. And I'm looking at this and going, what in the world are you doing? Because you'll see, I'm going to make eight points that are not only about the shack, but about the whole Christian realm itself. For example, in the shack, this is a picture from the movie, the trailer from the movie. God, the father, Papa, is a, I don't care if she's black or whatever, but she's a black lady. Notice what I said. They got one of them right. Jesus is seen as a Middle Eastern carpenter. So that one there is half decent. And the Holy Spirit is an Asian lady. Now I have to tell you, I'm going to get back to that. But once you start a book, and by the way, you say, well, it's a novel. This novel falls totally on its face if it's not about the theology that is propagated in it. And I'm telling you, the theology is horrible. But it's not only from this book, it's Cross the board in the Christian circles and in the world. And by the way, there will be people that will watch that movie or read that book. 25 million copies of that book were sold. It was translated <coughs> excuse me, 41 languages, and the movie will probably get a lot more than that. There will be people that don't read their Bible, and they're going to go, oh, this is what the Bible says. This is, this is right theology. They're going to be totally wrong. The Bible is clear, and I'm just going to throw a few verses up here. Uh, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. How do I know if it's good? By the truths of the Word of God. Also, it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it's talking about the difference between baby Christians, children as 
immature Christians and mature Christians, it simply says this, solid food is for the mature who because of practice, putting something into practice, have their senses trained to discern, critically judge, what is good or evil, what is true or false, what is right or wrong. We are commanded by God to do that. In fact, this is the passage I ask you to turn to. Solomon is now taking over. He's taking over and he has really big sandals to fill. His father was David. He is the most beloved of all the kings. And he has to take over. And God said, ask me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. You know what Solomon did? Here's what he said. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. And God said, because you haven't asked for riches or fame or power or any of those things... I'll give you those things, because, but first, I'm going to give you that discernment, that understanding. You see, because only a discerning, understanding, wise person can rightly use those other things. And that's what God wants. I think God wants more for all of us than we're even thinking He wants for us. But because we don't discern, we miss out because God can't bless us. And won't bless us because if he gave us these things, we'd misuse them. So we need to make critical judgments. Wise judgments. We need to think things through. We need to compare things. And then we need to decide what is good and evil. What is right and what is wrong. What is worthwhile and worthless. So with that as a background, let's look at these eight principles. And I'm going to go through them really quickly because they, well, we're just going to go. I'm not going to read. By the way, you want the notes? I have 15 pages of notes up here and it has all the quotes and all that. So if you say, well, Paul, you're stretching this whole thing. You don't know what you're talking about. Feel free. I'll email them to you. The story of the shack, by the way, if you don't know, uh, the story starts, a, a man's daughter was brutally kidna uh, kidnapped and brutally murdered in an old shack in the woods. The guy gets a summons, he finds out that it was the Trinity, you saw the Trinity up there in quotes, uh, summoning to the shack, and now the conversation is between Mac and these three uh, persons who supposedly represent God, and, and that's the book. So if you take that out, you don't really have much of a story. But the first thing, we need to understand that the whole concept of God is in question. The Bible always uses the masculine to define God. Never feminine. Here's what you need to know. I'm not going to go into a lot of details here because I'll run out of time. But here's what it comes down to. The masculine concept is long before creation. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. You know what? It's all masculine. And long before creation. Guess what? The whole female part, the feminine side, didn't come until creation. Here's what it comes down to, and I have it written there, is it comes down to goddess worship. You are worshiping something that is part of creation, not what mirrors what, who God is. 
God is absolutely masculine. We live in a world that messes gender up. That's a whole other sermon, but you can't, people can't figure out what gender they are. Uh, something's wrong, but guess what? If you start saying, well, you know what? Maybe God is feminine, maybe He is not. You know what? You already have just capitulated to the things that are going on in this world right now. It's absolutely relevant to the, to the bottom, bottom end. The concept of hierarchy in the Trinity. The concept in the book is kind of this. Hierarchy or position is something that is a result of sin. Not true. God the Son didn't send God the Father. God the Father sent the Son. God the Father and God the Son sent the Holy Spirit. You see, God is a trinity. There's one God who is manifest to us in three persons. But there is a hierarchy. Not that one is better, because each member of the trinity is absolutely identical in their nature and in their character, their holiness and everything else. But there is a separation between them, a differentiation. You see, positions and positional authority is not something that's simply a matter of sin came into the world and people make choices. No, it already existed with God in all eternity. And it always will. So guess what? When people say, well, you know what? You, everybody can do anything they want. No, God said there are certain positions. Doesn't make you more valuable. Doesn't make you better or more holy or any of those things. Simply says it's different. God absolutely is a God who has in the Trinity itself hierarchy, positional authority. Number three, the identity of Christ is greatly distorted in this book, and it is in the world that we, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the world we live in. In the book, it says, Papa put out a her hands, the, the, I, I hate even saying these things, Put her, and they could see the nail, he could see the nail holes in her hands. Let me, let me give you something. There is a, you want a big theological term, it's real short, modalism. You don't even need to know what it is, but simply this, is that there is a trinity, but at one time there was God who was God the Father, then it kind of shifted into, well, now God is the Son, Jesus Christ, and, well, now today He's the Holy Spirit. Not three persons all eternally existing, but they're in one mode, that's modalism, one mode at one time. That's not the Trinity. Jesus Christ absolutely is the second person of the Trinity. And uh, He is the one where it says in... John, and the Word was made flesh. God the Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. Only Jesus Christ did. But God the Father was still existing when He was on there. Because Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, that is a totally wrong view. Only Christ died for our sins. He is unique. He took on flesh to die for you. 
to pay your sin, to shed His blood. God the Father didn't do that. He sent Him to do it. And God the Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus sent and God the Father sent to bring conviction to all of us. By the way, if you're sitting here and you go, I'm not sure I know all about this, you know, dying on the cross and all that. Guess what? The bottom line, basic teaching of Scripture is that Christ, God the Son, came to earth, totally God, took on a body so He could die on the cross and shed His blood to forgive your sin. We'll get to that, and I'm going to stop it right there because one of the next points is that we're going to look at where this goes. Jesus Christ is fully God. The person of Christ is minimized because in the book, it simply says, well, Jesus was, well, yeah, he was God, but he didn't exercise his authority as God. In other words, he didn't do anything on his own initiative. Now, they're partly right, just like a lot of other wrong theologies and wrong teachings, partly right. Jesus Christ, in most cases in this world, while he was in the flesh, depended upon the Holy Spirit to work through him. But guess what? When you get to, the, when you get to John, you find out that he says, I lay down my life. On the cross, it says, Jesus dismissed, sent forth his spirit. You try that. You can't do it. But guess what the second part of that is? The second part, he says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. I'll tell you what, when they, when they call the, uh, the undertaker to come, I challenge you that when the undertaker comes, you just say, you know what, I'm going to get back up and start walking again. You're not going to do it. But guess what? Jesus Christ did and could. You see, when you say that he was not able to exercise who he was, he is God who took on a human body and a human personality and all the rest of the things that are true of a human except for sin. And yes, did he always use every ability and capability that he had as God? No! But he never gave it up. You cannot minimize who God the Son is, Jesus Christ. If you do, you don't have the Christ of the Bible. <clears throat> the fifth thing is there's a low view of Scripture. This one and the next one are the ones that get me the most. Because in the book, and by the way, again, these are things that are broad, not just in this book. I'm just using this as a test case. It says, and, and this is a quote, it says, With moderns, they prefer to have and only listen to and follow sacred scripture. Hey, that sounds great. Except it goes on to say, nobody wanted God in a box, just in a book. I don't know if you've checked lately in the Bible, but the Bible is very clear that God's Word is equal to His name. You see, when we say we have the Word of God in the Bible, we literally mean it's God's Word. It's not. And, and it makes fun. It's like, oh, well, you have ink on a page with gold edges and, you know, that's, people put God in a box. 
The answer is no. God has spoken. And so we can't get it wrong and mess it up. Not only has He spoken, but He's made it permanent so we can use it over and over again. I understand that Jesus Christ is the living Word of God in flesh. I understand that. The incarnation. We just went through Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. But He has left us with His Word. In fact, is the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Thessalonians, he said to them, I thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, now listen to the last part, which performs its work in you who believe. If you think the Word of God is just a bunch of words on a, on a page, you're dead wrong. But guess what? That's the way the world looks at it. It's not just a book. It's not just words on the page. It is the literal will and Word of God. It is what God wants us to know. That's bad enough. The next one is the one that is really rampant today. It's called universalism. You go, what is universalism? Get, you know, give us something we can work with. Here's what it comes. Most people would say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. We would say, because the Bible teaches this, that yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins. The provision for, giving, for, for forgiving all sin was made once for all by Jesus Christ almost 2,000 years, about 2,000 years ago on the cross. Universalism says this, Jesus died on the cross and has already forgiven everyone's sin. So it doesn't matter what you call yourself. There's all kinds of roads that lead to heaven. You know what? Because it doesn't matter because Jesus died and forgave all the sins of the world, so everybody's going to heaven. Universally, everyone's going to heaven. That's the whole thing of the emergent church. Everybody's going to heaven! Because Jesus died on the cross. Praise the Lord, Jesus died on the cross. And praise the Lord that everything that needed to be done forever for sin to be forgiven was already taken care of. The price in full has been paid. But guess what? Universalism misses a huge, huge thing. And that's this. That unless I make a choice... To trust Jesus Christ, it does me zero good. John chapter 3, verse 36 says this. He that has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. He that does not obey the Son, Jesus Christ, does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Continues to abide on him. You know what? There is a heaven, there is a hell. The Bible is clear. Some go to eternal life and some eternal judgment. That's what the Bible says. And we absolutely teach Jesus died on the cross. But universalism says you don't have to do anything about it. It doesn't matter how you come, doesn't matter who you are, what you call yourself, or what you believe. You're, gonna, you're going to heaven anyway. I'm going to tell you, if that is true, that's close up, that's... Uh, Sell this place and go home. Because wh why should we do anything? Because everybody's going to heaven anyway. It is so false. But that is what is taught 
today, not just in this book, but that's a universal thing. Oh, we believe God is a God of love and Jesus died and so I'm okay. That is simply not Bible. It does not work that way. God never said it did. One last, two last things. That evil is simply, and the, and the, the book says this, evil is simply the absence of good. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, I agree, that's partially true. I have no problem with it partially. But evil is more than just the absence of good. Because the Bible, and if you go to Psalm 51, for example, that's a really good place to turn. It says, in sin did my mother conceive me. I am a sinner from the moment of conception. Evil is more than simply simply the absence of something. It is our condition. And in that condition, without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we're all going to hell. But the Holy Spirit convicts and shows us and points us to the all-sufficient Christ. Evil is the very essence of the nature of all of us who have been born. There are those that believe that uh, babies, they're, they're innocent. By the way, they are cute and they haven't, you know, they haven't cursed at you yet and told you that they hate you or any of those things yet. But, you know what? They were born with a nature. Anybody that's ever been around children knows by at least a week or two old, they already have learned, uh, hey, I want my own way and I'm going to make sure if I don't get it, everybody else in this whole room knows that. Actually, the whole neighborhood in some cases. You know what? Evil is more than simply the absence of good. It is the very nature of us. And that's something that that people look at. And then the last one. God doesn't require anything of us. If you read the book, you'll find that it says that, you know what? Uh, There is no law for us, it says. Well, that's partly true. But. The Bible doesn't stop there because the Bible does require us to discern. It does require us to make choices based on what we know, what is true, what the Bible says. For example, to someone uh, who is unsaved, it says, you have to make a choice. You have to uh, trust me. I already quoted John 3.36. Because it says, if, if you don't obey the Son, you don't have life and the wrath of God abides on you. Salvation's not automatic. God does require something of you. He requires you to make choices, to discern. For us, as, if those of us who have already trusted Christ, it's very clear we have to make choices. He expects something of us. Be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Hey, that's an expectation. In fact, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says that we, and talking to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That we will answer for the deeds done in the body, and I used this before, whether they were good or evil. Worthwhile or worthless. We have to answer. In fact is, even those who make the choice to reject Jesus Christ, they have to answer for what they've done in their body. When you get to Revelation chapter 20, it's very clear 
that they're before the great white throne. This is not about whether you go to heaven or hell or purgatory or some other place. It is about, no, you're already heading for the lake of fire, which is hell. And now you have to, at that time, even as an unbeliever, answer for what you've done. You see, while there are degrees of reward in heaven, there are degrees of punishment in hell, the lake of fire. And we have to answer for the deeds done. Yes, God does expect something of us. He expects us to discern things. One last illustration. This church has had eight malfunctions in its heating system in eight weeks. Thankfully, I have men at this church. Joe fixed it this morning. Uh, Mike Snyder helped me the other day. We, the thermostat went out. We put all new sensors in. New thermostat doesn't give you instructions on how to set it up, but it says installer has to answer these questions. I think I'm half decently, reasonably intelligent and got a little bit of a knack for mechanical things. So I'm fixing this thing, and it said, do you want to use the uh, remote sensors? Yes. Do you want to use the thermostat? Yes. No! Here's what happened. My wife comes up and says, Paul, the auditorium is freezing. We're freezing it uh, during um, uh, praise team practice. I'm like, it was running. It was working. Here I found out, and Mike Snyder got me straightened out on this one. He said, Paul, you bought a smart thermostat. This thermostat is smarter than I am. And, and, and seriously, here's what had happened. This thermostat was discerning, but it was discerning the wrong things. You see, there are four, four things in this uh, church that say how, what the temperature is in here. Sends it down to the thermostat. Well, when I clicked, yes, I want to use the thermostat, it also read the thermostat. So it was discerning between 55 degrees here and 95 or 85, whatever it is in that room down there, as hot as can be. And in here, it was 57 degrees, and it said, it's all working. I had to go down, and Mike said, hey, you got a smart thermostat. He actually had to call his boss to figure it out, too. But anyway, by the time we were done, we got, hey, now the thermostat discerns what the temperature is, and now it works. Well, guess what? You can say, well, I'm a discerning person. I'm not stupid, you know. But here's what I know. If you don't have right information and you don't compare all the information with the right source, the right standard, you still come up with a goofed up answer. Wrong choices, wrong actions, wrong words, wrong thoughts, wrong emotions. I challenge you, whatever you do in this year, this is a continuation of last week's sermon basically, whatever you do, Look at the world, look at information, look at the media, look at a book, look at whatever, look at me. Through what does God say? This is the standard, nothing else. Look at the world through this standard. And you will indeed be a discerning person. Let's not be naive. Let's not just go with the flow. Let's go with what God says and be wise, discerning, understanding people. That's a challenge. And I'll tell you what, if, if, you're, if you get serious about what I just said today, it will change the way you look at everything. And it will. You will go, okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. That person said that. They're my best friend. So, yeah, but even if they're my best friend, maybe they don't got it right. I got to check. 
that's what we need to do as believers. And here, here's the other thing. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, here's the discerning thing you need to do. You need to recognize, I'm a sinner. And recognize and discern, Jesus Christ alone died for my sin. And yes, He does require me to make choices. He has an expectation for me. I need to make that choice to trust Christ. Otherwise, I don't have life. But if I obey Him, if I trust Him, I have life. And the wrath of God does not abide on me. But I've gone from going to hell to going to heaven. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, I know we've stuffed a lot of things in a short amount of time. But Father, I pray that you would convict and work in our lives. That indeed we would be discerning people. That we would use your word, your truth to evaluate everything that comes our way so that we would live a life that's pleasing to you, good for us, and beneficial to all those around us. And Lord, when we do know your truth, Lord, you give us the responsibility of speaking up and being a light and being salt, being a testimony to the world around us. Lord, I pray as we leave that we would see that, practice that, and Lord, that you would change our lives and make us into those that indeed are holy people. Well, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and be a blessing to someone else.